Hello, and welcome to the Read This, Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. I'm Dale. Got home safe and sound, huh? World traveler. Got home safe and sound remains to be seen. And I'm, I'm just making a pit stop. I'm off again on Sunday. Jeez. Were you in D.C.? I was in D.C., yes. You flew? You couldn't take the train? Well, there's airport very, very close to my house, and it does have convenient flights to D.C., which are actually cheaper and quicker than getting down to Penn Station and taking the train. So yeah, when yeah. I can make it happen, I do. All right, so it's October, and last October, we did a podcast about what we thought would be some good, good Halloween movies. Yes. So we thought we'd kind of do another list show for October, and our topic is going to be vampires. We're going to discuss our favorite vampire stories, be it a novel, short story, film, what have you. But, you know, I was thinking about this topic, Dale, and I was thinking about, like, why, you know, even if you just want to take the Universal Monsters say that kind of invented modern movie horror, you know, the, the mummy, Dracula, Frankenstein, werewolf, invisible man. The vampire seems to endure. Uh, it has its ups and downs. And the type of vampire changes from the classic uh, European nobility to um, an unfortunate um a, a, a fortunate time period where the vampire was kind of uh, romanticized, uh, a, a figure of pity and and things like that. But this this kind of archetypal monster seems to endure. I was so I was thinking about why why that might be. Any uh, any thoughts? Well. Um... I guess, you know, very early on, you know, you know, many hundreds of years ago, right? When these myths started, um, I guess one question I have is, you know, might there actually have been vampires, not vampire vampires, but people who were caught up in, um, uh, you know, kind of the religious ecstasy that, you know, people could have to cause them to do crazy things, whether, you know, there, there was some degree of behavior that, that kind of caused these things to um, take root, call it. Um, and I think the more, and I think that that, you know, the, you know, what happens after we die, all those things probably kept things like vampires um, kind of front and center also probably um, help explain things that happened in the natural world that were otherwise unexplainable. But I think in the modern, call it in the more modern era, I think that the reason that the vampires have, have um, kind of lasted so long in, in the psyche, and I think it goes through phases where it's up and it's down a little bit and up a bit and down a bit. But I think that one of the reasons that it's kind of stuck around for so long is because it's so malleable. You know, you can have a vampire that's a monster and you can have a vampire that's a sympathetic person. 
and everything in between. It's a um, kind of a blank canvas for allegory, I suppose, right? Yeah, everything from a, yeah, addiction, you're, you're addiction very, to... You're sounding very literate. This is uh, unusual. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a glass of wine. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a blank. It can be a, a blank canvas for... Out, like uh, I always think of uh, there's the addiction allegory, the yeah. uh, rapists, the... Uh, and the very fact, like there, there's modern day, like the, the John Carpenter's the thing, you know, the great grandfather of the thing is Frankenstein, right? It's the the big kind of the big thing that doesn't really talk, the big monster that doesn't talk. There's all sorts of Frankenstein type monsters, but they don't really they come in all different shapes, sizes, and things like that. Werewolves, eh, I mean. Uh, that that allegory, Jekyll and Hyde, that's pretty straightforward. Um, but I think the the thing that gets the vampire so many so many legends that I've heard one not, not every culture, but some of the key fact the idea of a dead family member coming after you is you know is terrifying. Yes, because it, it has that little it has a little personal personal thing to it and they've even evolved i mean some people might not like this because uh how big zombies have been in the in the 21st century on tv and movies and they become comedies and uh one of the most popular shows on tv for a number of years was a freaking zombie show if you can believe that but they're just a different type of vampire right A, a a uh, uh, corpse come back to life that needs to feed. It just kind of, they just kind of lack the um, they lack the humanity portion of it. But um, but but uh, even but even that I I think that with some I would say some vampire movies, but uh, excuse me, some zombie stories movies, whatever you want to call it. Like there is some creative ones, kind of from the you know there there was one recently that was kind of the from the perspective of the zombie right of someone turning into a zombie but i think that the 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 thing that zombies really do well is um existential angst the slow march of death right yeah. you can you can evade one you can yeah. evade two but eventually they're going to they get will, it's it's death right it's yeah. an allegory of death no matter yeah. no matter what can, that's what it gonna, is we have our treadmills. We have our lean diets. We have all that, but and you can you can avoid one, two, three, four for a number of years. They're slow. They're kind of mindless, but they'll get you in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna do a you know one for one. You go, I go, you go, I go type of thing. Could be movies, uh, short stories, novels. We're going. Well, I'm. I mean, you can do what you want. Of course, it's a. Uh, it's a free podcast for now. Um, I'm mm-hmm. going to admit Salem's Lot one because our first 17 episodes were about Salem's Lot. It seemed like yes, we talked about it to death. It probably is. It would definitely be on my top five, um, even possibly the 79 movie, which I like because it has a lot of 1979 sensibilities. It's a slow burn. It's 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 fun to watch. I'm just admitting, omitting that. So right there, I haven't forgotten it. 
Yeah, um, it's out there. It's it's I'm with in you. my top we, five, but I'm skipping it. Yeah, we talked about that, and um, and I agree, and I agree with you. I'll I'll say something else about my list. Uh, my list is going to be. I don't know how you're going to take it. It's going to be. I think. I I really tried to think not so much of things that I thought were my necessarily my favorite things, but ones that. I thought were interesting, creative, uh, and and maybe even a little bit unique. That's fine. At yeah. times, as compared to maybe things that I like really enjoyed, because I've I've not listed, for example, and if I were to say, okay, what are the things that I really enjoy? I mean, I love those '60s and '70s Hammer films, and all of those vampire. Me too. I, I love them absolutely. I think they're they're some of them are are. Some of them are, are, you know, good. I mean, special effects aside, some of them are funny to watch now. You know, they're, they're campy in a lot of ways. They're, and they're just so much fun, right? I mean, they, they just fill that kind of fun zone yes. really well. And, didn't, make, didn't make your list. And I, and I just couldn't put them on the list because I, I, I would have to go and choose amongst many. And I'm not sure that they are particularly interesting. So um, I so you want to do your list is going to be I went and that's fine that's I'm interested to hear what you came up with and oh I, I'm sorry I'm sorry one, let me add one other point to all of this I'm not a vampire story fan as a general matter and so it's not like I've gone out and read them all right and so there's going to be um, you know, our listener may point out a dozen things that are really unique and interesting, you know, vampire short stories, books, movies, you know, whatever that I just haven't seen or, or paid attention to. So that's... I'm not a, a fit, I mean, I'm not an amateur expert either. There's going to be uh, a, a ton I've never read, a ton I've never heard of that somebody might say, how could you? I'm going with my the ones I enjoy revisiting the most. Period. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make you know uh, uh, aesthetic arguments for their their quality as art. I'm just going with the ones I like. But I will tell you a quick anecdote. A couple of years ago, uh, my oldest was in high school, which means my middle was in probably middle middle school or maybe first year high school. Mike was young. It was a Friday night. It was Halloween. Ethan was busy with his friends. They were like going out, but would come back to the house. They go out again. Katie was out too. Back and forth, back and forth. I, I stayed back at the house too. We hardly, because of the nature of our house, we never get anybody actually knocking on the door, but you never know. And it was drizzle, cold. I put a fire in the fireplace, turn on the TV, and from about 6 p.m. to like 3 a.m. You know what they were showing? All the Hammer nice. Draculas. Yeah, it was like ah, oh, awesome. It was a great. It was a great night. It was just, it was a terrific night. Um, why don't you go? Give me your give me your first, and I'll, I'm I, I'm not doing any. It's in no order. Sure. Well, my first, I'll start with um, uh, something you know fairly. I'll call it mon seemingly mundane, but which I really do think belongs on the list, which is Bram Stoker's Dracula novel. 
I love that book. I love how the story is told through a combination of, you know, the you know, newspaper articles, the, you know, the recording device, right? All this crazy, funky stuff. Uh, it's, of course, the template, right, for the band getting together to go and defeat, right, the, the uh, you know, the monster. Um, it's got, you know, a stupid American in it. It's it just has all of these wonderful elements to it. And I think it's done extremely well. I find it to be really enjoyable. And uh, it may be because it's one of the things that my father read to my brother and I when we were kids. It's just always stuck with me. And um, again, it may seem kind of mundane, but I think it's great. I, I don't. Well, I think you're. No offense, but I think you're underselling yourself. That is, in my humble opinion, it's not the first vampire novel out of England. The real first vampire novel was John Polidori's The Vampire, which kind of set the stage for the aristocratic vampire. Mm. Dracula's a classic. People still read it after all these years. They're still reading it. It did set. It set. That was the. That was a template, right? Until it would everything. Everything up to a certain point was either um, uh, not an imitation, but based on the Dracula formula or a reaction to it. And Mm. it's a fantastic novel. It's it has some boring places, but it has some really exciting stuff. It's it's pretty modern for an 18, what, 97 novel. And there's a a lot you can talk about with that. With that novel, and you know, one of the fun conversations is, what's the first, you know, what's the first movie that equated Dracula with the actual historical figure of Vlad the Impaler? And it's fun kind of debate because in the novel, he's not Vlad, right? The Impaler. He actually says. Yeah. I'm I'm a Hungarian, not a Romanian dog. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have like all sorts of fun debates whether or not you know Bram Stoker met him met him to be that and reading crappy you know uh, histories of Romania, but in the novel he's not. And somewhere along the line, uh, people got into their head that you know it was Vlad. The... So there's all sorts of fun things, and that's what that what that's one of the things that makes a great right a, a classic not. Yeah, a classic piece of work is you can have all sorts of fun debates and questions about it. So I think that's I think that's that's a, and on top of all that, it, it is if you're a horror fan, that is one that's one leg of the stool of horror. Period. Yeah. End of the story. That's the yeah. that's the Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. So it's excellent. great. It's great. If you haven't, if people haven't read it, I, it's one of those you know, it's one of those books. Of course, everybody knows. I'm not sure how many people have actually read it. I know. Um, really. Right. And my view is you should go and read it. I mean, I, I really do think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great, great book. So yeah, so that's get, mine. I used to get my oldest, um, these, he was too, you know, too young to actually read some of those 1800s novels, but they used to have these classic starters that kind of pared him down, uh, made him kid friendly and gave you the basic story. And he had like, Sherlock Holmes adventures. One was Dracula, 20 leagues. He loved them all, but he really loved the Dracula one. It was a lot of fun for him. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, all mine are fairly mundane in terms of the classic kind of vampire story. My first is a short story called Chestel by Manly Wade Wellman, who was an author. Yes. Pulp, star of the pulps. Um, uh, uh, this was published in 1979. It's about 25, 35 pages. And it's just a... It, it one he had he had a number of occult detectives and he'd write short stories about them and one of them was Judge Keith Hillary Persevant and he wrote four stories about Judge Persevant and one of them has the judge a director and the judge's kind of uh, Scooby Gang going to see a play called The Land Beyond the Forest in a small Connecticut town. The famous Broadway director is going to kind of uh, work out the kinks in this small New England town at, at, at this um, kind of neat, neat little theater. They're going to work out the kinks there during the summer, and then they are going to take it to Broadway. The, air, uh, the lead actress is Gonda Chastel. Her mother was a famous actress who died in this town. Uh, the judge, who is now like uh, in his... Late seventies, met Chestel around you know, in world around war, the time of World War One, and would like to meet the daughter. So they go there, and I'm not going to ruin the story, but it's what you would think. Um, the daughter is the spitting image of her mom. <laughs> the mom is buried in the small town. One of the neat things, though, they do drag in is the New England vampire legends. Um, in the mid to, uh, mid to late 1800s, mostly in Rhode Island, but in a couple other towns, they were the townspeople were doing things uh, using remedies for vampires on uh, uh, family members who had died because the family member would die. And then a couple of weeks later, another family member would get sick and waste away. And sometimes a third would get sick and waste away. And uh, it was, of course, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis yes. is going through the town, but there is an actual kind of uh, New England vampire legend. These, and they find, you know, sometimes when they have to move cemeteries, they'll find coffins that have silver-plated or, or nickel-plated nails in the sign of a cross on the coffins. Mm. And when they accidentally dug into a mound and it was an old family crypt, um, the um, head had been severed, like you do with uh, I mean, and the last thing I'll mention about that is that uh, the last guy who did like a biography of Bram Stoker or a bio kind of a work about writing Dracula, I forget which, found he Stoker knew about this legend, he had newspaper clippings and some articles about all this. Um, and the ironic thing about the whole thing was, of all of all institutes, the church was the one telling people, "Listen to your doctors. It's tuberculosis." Really? Not, yeah. <laughs> the ministers and the priests are running around saying, "What are you people doing?" <laughs> the doctors are telling you it's tuberculosis. Take precautions against tuberculosis. Stop mutilating corpses. <laughs> uh, but I will. That's good. Wellman was born in uh, uh, Portuguese West Africa because his father 
had signed up uh, for a, a, a missionary group. His father was a doctor. And then they went to England, ultimately came back to the United States. So this is a standard vampire story. It's always, it's in a lot of books called like great vampire stories. So there's no, right. yeah. there's no mystery. But um, he almost writes like an Englishman. And his, it's clear, concise, grammatically correct. And it's a lot of fun. To How read. dare he? It's light. It's breezy. It's an easy, fun read. Manly Wade Wellman. It's called Chestel. And you can find it. Um, you actually find it in an e-form. Um, I think they publish a lot of his short stories. You know, buck ninety-nine for for a twenty, thirty, forty-page short story. Yeah. Uh, that so that's that's my first one. I like it. I love um, Manly Wellman and um, great era of writers. And that that sounds that sounds like. Um, um, it sounds like it's just a really good example of what you might otherwise expect from a vampire story. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's elevated yeah. pulp. Right. It's, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, kind of keeping keeping with my with well, no, actually not keeping with my with my theme. I'll 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 I'll, I'll skip I'll skip one and um, come back to it. So the the second one I will list is a movie called Life Force. <laughs> one of my favorite movies when I was a kid because of Matilda the, May, the, the female alien. <laughs> God, what a terrible movie! Uh -oh. <laughs> oh, you're horrible. I love Life Force. It's great fun. It's a whole lot of fun. It and is, I, and I love it because it's. It's got some really truly bad acting in it, but it also has some good acting. Patrick Stewart's in it. Vampires um, from outer space, right? Yes, vampires yeah, yeah. Are from outer space and a and a beautiful naked woman. When you're a kid, what what more could you want, right? At <laughs> yeah. a movie, yeah. and uh, it's a good uh, day. Yeah, but it's a but it's a, the reason I like it is because it takes a fairly creative view of the story, right, and turns, um, uh. Uh, you know, essentially turns vampires into locusts, right? Kind of a, essentially a kind of locust that goes from planet to planet and just kills all the life forms. Um, but they're vamp they're and they don't drink your blood. They drink your life force, whatever that happens to be. Um, but uh, they, they kind of, uh, you know, do vampire things. And um, as I said before, it, it, it's got some bad acting. It has some good acting. It's a uh, kind of adventure action together with horror. So it was one of those first movies that kind of really tried to bring all of those elements together. Because there's that period of time when you had horror movies and they were horror movies. You had action movies and they were action movies. But you rarely had, you really kind of brought them together, Right. Yeah. And, and had had it as one thing like I think uh, Aliens, this, you know, the second Alien movie was, I think, also one of the first to, to do that, to to bring those two elements together. Yeah, it's almost like horror adventure. Yeah. And Life Force, I think, falls into that category. Um, I don't know where the story came from. It's fairly, the novel. It came from a novel? novel from a well and I, I'm blanking on his name now. From a well-known English author, yes. Mm. It, it, yeah, I don't know how faithful 
it is. I don't know. How, I can't remember what people thought of the book. But, um, yeah, it is based on a novel. Yeah. So a lot of uh, also, again, a lot of fun fits that, you know, just kind of really goes for the entertainment value. It's not particularly deep. Right. There's no overarching philosophy to it. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, just out of the mold. I mean, you just don't see that, you know, that kind of a twist on the vampire story is not something that you see. So that's that my just, number two. That was just one of those movies that HBO showed four times a day for like three months. I think that's uh, probably I remember right. that. Yeah. yeah. That's how I know it. It was just yeah. one of those in the rotation when they used to show like the same movies over and over again for three months and you couldn't help watch it. But yeah. uh, my second one is going to be a movie as well. It's called Isle of the Dead. It oh. is a 1945 RKO movie. It is directed by Mark Robeson, who also did a real director, did Bridges at Toko Re, Peyton Place, Von Ryan's Express. Um, it is one of the Val Luton movies. Mm. It is um, one of the later movies. Um, Val Luton. Oh, uh, Robeson also did The Seventh Victim, which was a Val Luton movie. Um, it is a really neat, so maybe I'll, I'll do a real quick Val Luton. Val Luton was born in Russia, came to the United States with his family. He wrote pulp stories. He wrote novels. He got involved in Hollywood. And over the years, he did a lot of jobs in various capacities. Uh, I think he might have been a cinematographer, an assistant director, you name it. He is uh, credited with that great scene. In Gone with the Wind, when Scarlet is helping a badly wounded converted soldier, and then the camera pans up and back, and you see the whole it's just littered with dead and dying soldiers. So mm. they go for the one that's supposedly his shot. So RKO wanted a RKO wanted a piggyback on Universal Success. They wanted a B unit. They hired Val Luton to be the producer. I think I told you this before, at least initially he was given each movie had to be uh, had a one hundred twenty thousand dollar budget, which even back in the early 40s was not a lot. They gave him the names of the movies, but no script. And he could go to it and he delivered about nine movies as producer, but he was very much hands on. There's a good documentary about him because all his movies have this shadow and light play. And there's a very distinct Val Luton look, even though he, um, these movies had um, a couple different directors. Cat People, of course, is probably the most famous. Um, he always brought the movie in under budget. He always uh, brought the movie in with time to spare. And he spent his money on actors... And things like that, and not special effects. So, when even though some of these movies touch on the supernatural, you never really see anything. It's all mood, atmosphere, and I think some of the best um, horror—they're almost like their own thing. A lot of them, like horror noir. Yeah. And this one stars Boris Karloff. It takes place in 1912 during the Balkan Wars. He's at the battlefield. There's an American journalist, uh, Jason Robard's father, as a matter of fact, the actor. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I, and um, 
the he's following the general and the war. The general's near an island in a I don't know if it's an island off the coast of the ocean or in a lake, but it's it's a it's a almost like a, it's a cemetery almost. It's you know, and that's where his wife is buried because she died a couple years before. So he's in the neighborhood fighting battles. He and the reporter go over there. There's people on the island. There's like a archaeologist and. So what happens is that um, they stay the night. Then somebody, a doctor, arrives and says, you've all been exposed to the plague. You're going to be quarantined here. And, of course, though, the old woman says there is a, I had to write it down, a Vorvalak. Someone's a Vorvalak, which is a vampire. But they're, So they're quarantined. They got this woman. There's people kind of getting ill. Is this is is there some type of vampire on this small island or not? And so you have that background. It's a little bit like the thing because it also has a layer of you could almost take the vampire if there is one um, out, and it's kind of a story about people paranoia, um, isolation, and it's a really good quick hit i mean all his movies are like i don't know hour and 10 hour and 15 minutes it's mm-hmm. a good quick hit and it's all a lot of suggestion and mood and it's a good flick if you see it you can catch it on tcm every now and then it's not it, it's on it's, it's not yeah. one of those you can barely find it's called isle of the dead 1945 rko and it's a good it's a good flick i am gonna look that one up Yep. Uh, like it. I like think it. You, I think you'd enjoy it. Yep. Okay. My um my number two is uh again going back to maybe some kind of classics, not too shocking, is I am legend, Richard Matheson. Sure. And uh Richard Matheson's you and I have probably said many times before on this podcast, um one of the great um, writers of the 20th century, writer's writer, all over the place, screenplays, television shows, novels, short stories, kind of you name it, he did it and did it well. Um, uh, master of the of the craft. And of course, he's the name behind so many different things that you know we see or saw back in the 20th century. Um, and I am legend, I think is, is a, is a really, really creative story because it takes the kind of the monster myth and, and puts it on its head where our protagonist, um, in the end, not because he is what we would conventionally say is a monster, but because the world has gone beyond us and he has become the aberration as aberration as compared to. Um, what's there and the device is this vampire plague right so everybody becomes vampires and he's the last man on earth and he uh it continues to battle the vampires around him who try to get him but what we discover kind of towards the uh towards the end is that this vampire plague there has really two basic and i'm going to get the details wrong here but there are two basic forms there are what you'd say is the purely undead but then there are kind of sort of people or people like people um who 
go out at night, can't go out during the day, right? All that kind of stuff. And his battle against the vampires has resulted him actually being, you know, battling against these people. And so he has become this, <laughs> this horrible creature that... Yeah, he sneaks into their sleeping and he kills them. Yes. (laughs) And it's a really, really nice um it's a it's a really nice twist uh um for a kind of a last man on earth. So it could be, I mean, you could put it put it in a post-apocalyptic kind of category as well, but um really, really, very, very, very creative, very thoughtful, really well written, short to the point. It's been turned into, um, I think its first version of a movie was Vincent Price movie, which stayed, I think, fairly close to the story. It was the basis for Charlton Heston movie, Omega Man, which I watched again the other day uh, for the heck of it. And it's probably the last time I will ever watch it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's uh, yeah. It's not great. Um yeah. He's got Charlton Heston being Charlton Heston. I think um, the best one is the Vince Price one, I actually think. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Al Smith one. Al, 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 Al Smith, Smith. Jesus. <clears throat> yeah, that would be, I'd love to see an Al Smith. Uh, sure. <laughs> the, the former governor of New York <laughs> yes. got into movies and, uh, and uh, adapted uh, Richard Matheson's guy. Yeah. yeah. But, I think it's uh, Will, Will, Will Smith. Smith. Yes, of course. Will Didn't Smith. Will Smith kind of missed the whole point of yes. him being the legend. Yes, completely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Completely missed missed the point. Um uh but uh uh but nonetheless, you know, a a, a great story and the uh, one of the things I really like about it and if you haven't picked up on this and our reader or listener hasn't picked up on this, I do really like those things, those novel stories, movies that really play with some of the basic assumptions of of um what we know to be true or what we know to be real like love philip k dick i love the exploration of um uh i notions of other intelligence or different intelligence or different perspective Um, right those things i think i find very interesting um and and can be very revealing about ourselves uh, and I think this story, this is certainly not true universally of Matheson stories, but I thought that this story was a really good um, um, entry into those sorts of things where you're kind of forced to look at, look at things, you're looking at for one perspective, and then suddenly you're given a very valid, different perspective. And it causes you to, you know, <coughs> stop short and kind of pause and, and think a bit about it. So really love it. I think it's, I think it's done really well. And it, it is, uh, in my, in my opinion, a modern masterpiece. I mean, you know, uh, Matheson was a genius. He, yeah. so that's the pivot point, right? That's the reaction to Jack- Dracula. Dracula, you have one vampire in a world full of people and Matheson yeah, reverses right. it. <laughs> yeah. It's right, not exactly. some mystical supernatural thing. It's a uh, vaccine, right? Right. Vaccine right. going haywire. It's scientifically based. Um, yeah, that's why Matheson. And, and it seems simple. Why didn't I think of that? You know? right. But, but um, yeah, that's I, I would say. Vamp- so if I was going to do a Mount Rushmore vampire stories, it'd have to start with Dracula. And then the anti-Dracula, which would start, I think. I, I'm sure 
I I have a weird tales and other pulp story like a hardcover anthology that just gather all the vampire stories from all those pulp magazines mm. and there's vamp you know vampires from outer space all that but you know the first kind of well-known major publisher all that type of thing type of reaction to dracula was i am legend richard matheson you know so you got probably dracula I am legend, and you have to find the other two to complete Mount Rushmore. But I think that's that's right up there. It's not my type of. St- I, I read it, I enjoyed it. Not my favorite because I'm not a big one on the one or two character things. You know, he's isolated by himself and his dog for a long time. Yes. You know, I I like when the team gets together to fight the the vampire. Yeah. But but you know it's it's right up there. My um my second one or third? Oh geez, third. We're on third. This is a short story, very short story called The Vampire of Croglin Grange. It is another standard vampire story, but outside of the kind of the four corners of the story, it's of interest. It was written by a man named Augustus Hare. H-A-R-E. It sounds like a, a Alice in Wonderland character. He was a socialite uh, born in the early 1800s and died, you know, around the turn of the century. Uh, did some journalism, wrote a little this, wrote a that, went to a lot of parties. Uh, kind of like Paris Hilton if she could write. And he wrote a book called, and it was a number of these these people back in England that were kind of like, they weren't Royalty, for sure. They weren't really nobility, but maybe a step down from nobility, and they got into the right parties. And he was at one 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 um, website listed him as a raconteur, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's just one of these characters. But he wrote a book called uh, "The Story of My Life," which was published in 1900. In the book, he talks about being at a dinner party with a Captain Roe Fisher, and Roe Fisher told him a story that um, a family story about Croglin Grange, and it's a fairly simple story. This actually shows up in a lot of uh, vampire anthologies. Two brothers and a sister want to head to the countryside. They go up to Cumbria in northwestern England. They, they rent a house called Croglin Grange. Hot summer. One night, the sister wakes up, and there is a desiccated looking man at her window peeling away the lead from the window pane she sees him you know goes in the shock she tries to scream and can't he pushes out the pane unlatches the window goes in bites her leaves she screams they um, he doesn't return they go off to like Switzerland for the for, for for a couple months, but they come back the next summer. But they lay a trap for him. They shoot him. He runs back to the crypts. The next day, the townspeople, the villagers, and the the brothers and the sister gather and they burn the body. Or it is really straight up story. The uh, and it was when I read it as a kid. It, it was short, but it was creepy because the, 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 it does a really good job of talking about this like desiccated old man slowly slowly you know 
pushing out the pain of reaching in the latch and she can't she's paralyzed you know mm. and uh she just can't move and it was it was creepy but the interesting thing is that a lot of people have done research on this because the vampire is not really an english thing it was not a very big part of english folklore which is where and right. the sociologists talk about, you know, England didn't need vampires because they had witches. So if your cow died or your fields, you know, were in trouble and you hated your neighbor, your neighbor was a witch, not a vampire. Um, so they did not need it as that type of thing. But but they use this story because there is a Croglin and you can go to Croglin and people have researched. Was there a Croglin Hall? No, there wasn't. But then when somebody else did more research, they found a place called uh, Croglin Low Hall because it was one floor. Then they searched the records and oh, lo and behold, up until like the early early 1800s, a Fisher family did live there. And it, so they pieced together this kind of neat um, way how, because it's never in print before Augustus Hare's story. Hmm. But it's in print afterwards. And if you visit the village today, all the villagers say, oh, we know that story. But there's no evidence that the story ever existed before Hare's piece. And then somebody also noted that um, the description of what the vampire is doing at the window and when he, once he comes to the room is almost lifted uh, from a old shutter pulp called Varney the Vampire. Yes, and Barney. yeah, so they piece they're piecing. The, how did this become folklore? When did it become folklore? And it, it, and, you, and there's videos of like sociologists and folklorists talking about visiting Croglin, trying to point out, well, this is interesting, but there's no church, and it, it, it's really kind of neat. Um, outside the four corners of the story, people have done a lot of work trying to get to the kind of the the evolution of the folklore because it's not really an exciting story. Here's a vampire with one victim. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> so why did this, why did this even become a thing? You know, why did someone pick this out of some obscure socialites uh, memoirs from 1900? So, but it is, it, it, and it's real, it's, it's short, it's a quick hit. But when you're, when I was younger, there was like some really creepy elements in it. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's really, you go on YouTube, you can find a, a, a bunch of lectures and stuff about it. Yeah. That sounds really fascinating. Uh, that's, that's really neat. I like that. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go in a very different direction that you took us there. Um, my next one is, um, is what we do in the shadows. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> um, uh, of course, there's there's not always, but for a long, 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 long time, there has been a tradition of making comedies out of out of horror, right? Um, Abbott and Costello movies, of course, and I mean it's just always been there. And one of the more recent versions has been um, <coughs> this uh, group from New Zealand. Or I should, uh, yeah, actually, a few guys from New Zealand and boy, uh, uh, Germ- uh, God, his name is now. I should have written this down. Um, 
Jermaine, what's his name? Whatever his name is. One of the lead guys. He was one of the two main characters in Flight of the Concords, which was right. a HBO show, um, or it was a show on HBO anyway. But uh, this is a um, spoof documentary about a group of vampires living in New Zealand. And um, there are vampires from different eras. And the oldest one is a Nosferatu like <laughs> looking vampire. Yep. And, uh, um, and they're just, they have this wonderful kind of dopey New Zealand um, uh, kind of sense of humor and, uh, you know, sense of, <laughs> of, of self-worth and, um, they have, of course, their nemesis or the werewolves <laughs> who, <laughs> who have a leader of the pack who wants to make sure that they, they, they don't swear, <laughs> they, they don't use foul language. Um, and uh, they go through various adventures and, and, and things happen. Um, it's like the, I, the I th real world meets vampires, right? Uh, right, yeah, done, no, yeah, right. Yeah, it's kind, just, of, kind of funny. And it is just, it is just so funny. It it's, is funny. It's really creative. The, 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 the actors do such a good job with it. And it doesn't it all get, straight. it doesn't get uh, old. When you, watch, no. you know how some, uh, some movies, some horror comedies should be, it should be a skit, like a yes. SNL yes. skit. That one I didn't find got, got old. No, it just, it was just good. And it became a television show. Um, I, which I've watched at least some of. I, I, I don't think I've watched all of it. Um, but I remember thinking it was pretty good. So they were able to at least sustain it to a certain degree uh, for a period of time. But loads of fun. And um, uh, again, I think, I think carrying on a tradition, you know, to certainly not, you know, particularly new, um, but I think a little bit more inventive and creative um, than a lot that you you know than just you know kind of funny people in a what otherwise should be a scary situation right they kind of they really took it and turned it on its head and did you're, you're absolutely right it's kind of like a you know with an mtv show the real world kind of a kind of a document document documentary kind of version of a horror story just a, a whole lot of fun yeah it is it, it, it's it is a blast that that's a good one yeah, yeah. You know, I always forget that too. I should actually watch that again. That is, that is like, um, there's a lot of good. Uh, they they got the minion too, who's promised he will be made a vampire. <laughs> yes. their yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Because they're bidding. And they have, yeah. There, there's the there's the woman who's in love with one of them, and and <laughs> and, and um, who's married. That's <laughs> no, very good. Very and good. Uh, and I love the story of how the one one of them talks about how this yeah. is one of my favorite things how he became a vampire he's talking about pushing his cart full of his vegetables to the market <clears throat> suddenly the sky got very dark and you know all this just dramatic things and horrible and terrible and he said and then I looked up into the sky and it was Peter <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peter, Peter sitting next to him right right yeah during the interview yeah. <laughs> it is good yeah. I really need Pretty to watch good. that again it is yeah, lots that's, of fun. That's a good one. My um, next one, again, believe it or not, is a pretty much pretty traditional vampire tale. It is the 1972 movie Blackula. Nice. Good um, call. Good call. I this, like this call. 
this is so whenever you research this or I mean uh, yeah whenever you look it up they call it a 1972 black exploitation movie right. and things like that it's when you watch it it's it's there there's an element or two which might fit into black exploitation and one of them is a minor character that is a real stereotype of kind of like the shuck and jive street street guy it was like mm-hmm. yo hey dude you know that is one strange dude he's their friend but um the the main characters the main african american there's three main yeah there's three main african american characters excluding um prince mama waldy um and they're all played with dignity mm-hmm. they're professionals it's not exploitative at all. And a, a actor named William Marshall plays, um, you know, quote, Blackula. Right. Um, and he just brings the, the voice and the dignity to the role that um, I just I don't think it should be characterized as any exploitation. It's just a really good movie. And yeah. and the doctor, um, the doctor, kind of the police doctor who examines the bodies and there's no blood, you know, the typical usual thing. Yep. He's kind of friends with the white police officer. And there's some a little bit, but it's but it's not overdone back and forth about um the African American community and the police and, and things like that. But they ultimately team up together. And I won't spoil the ending because I think people should watch it. It's it's a you know it's this Dracula in LA. Yeah. You know, the, the one there's two kind of, I mean, the beginning, uh, William Marshall plays a, they never say the country. I don't think, but he's a African prince named Mama, Mama Waldy. It opens with the African prince in 1780s, Romania to speak with the famous diplomat, um, uh, Count Dracula uh, about ending the slave trade. So it's a little ridiculous. Yes. Um, uh, and then the Dracula treats him with a lot of respect and then at the dinner table just starts like making suggestive comments to the, to the prince's wife and just being a total jerk and then uh, the, the prince gets bitten and he gets locked into a coffin Hundreds of years later, he ends up in L.A., blah, 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 blah. And then it's just essentially Dracula. But it's a good movie. Um, yeah. It's actually solid. a good 70s movie. Now, there was a movie a couple years later that starred um, uh, Jack Palance. It was a Dan Curtis Dracula. Mm-hmm. The adaptation was written by Richard Matheson. And that may be one of the first that equates Dracula with Vlad the Impaler. But um, some of the podcasts I've listened to, one of the guys on the Castle of Horror podcast hates the um, Dracula comes to town. The vampire comes to town, sees our hero's wife or girlfriend, and it's a spitting image of his lost love. Mm. He hates that trope. Yeah. And says that it started with Richard Matheson in the Jack Palance movie. But they do it in Blackula two ah. years prior. Uh-huh. They, so, 
You can save one of my Richard Matheson's not the blame for this. And in fact, I was looking through. I was looking through that pulp, that uh, Weird Tales anthology of vampire stories, and there's one from like 1937. Short story takes place in Hollywood, and the vampire sees the the main character's uh, girlfriend. Uh-huh. It's a spinning image of the woman he lost. So, so um, yeah. So it's um, they use the term. There's two characters in it, and the police and the doctor um, call them faggots. And the N words yeah. used a couple times yeah. by African Americans referring to African Americans. But outside of that, and maybe one or two goofy things, it's just a, just a retelling of Dracula. It's not really yeah. one of those crazy exploitative black exploitation films that it's that it's always billed as. Yeah. 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 I saw it years and years and years ago, and I remember seeing it and thinking to myself, it's that's it not what I was told it was it yeah. was it was gonna be. And um Elijah Cook is in it, by the yes, way. Yes, yes, um, yes. There's one thing that I remember about it of all, all I don't know why, but I do. Uh he was like in a hot what was he was uh he was one of the morgue morgue guy. Right, 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 right. That's right. And there's actually um, a spooky there's a spooky yeah. scene in two or two in it as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. it's yeah, no. So I'm I'm really glad that you you picked that because I I I at least when I saw it, it's been a long, long time. But yeah, really, uh, really good movie. It's interesting because what my my runner up, and I'm, I'll just note a runner up I had. I, I I picked a runner up for all of this, which was Fright Night. Sure. Which uh, for the the original, not the recent, more recent yeah. remake, but the one from the '80s. Um, and I picked it because it's just a lot of. Of course, it has that trope though, right? Of oh, look at this this person yep. just like her. But um, yes, it does. Know, and it, it kind of just fits that nice, you know, vampire story. Although, again, the, a little bit of nuance to it because the vampire is this dashing, handsome, pleasant guy. Um, yeah, so so good one. Okay, so my next one. Uh, I absolutely love this book. I think it is written well and I, I i think it's i guess it must be translated well is uh let the right one in oh that's a good story that's a really and good story never read good it movies two good movies too that's uh, my understanding is the american remake is really good but the um swedish movie is fantastic yes and i think the american remake is almost like shot for shot just same movie um but it's done really well and it has one of my favorite actors in it i think um if if memory serves but um really really powerful story because you know like a good some of those good stephen king books it's about a kid and it's about childhood and it's about the trials and tribulations about being a child that's kind of one of the things that really propels that story story along and instead of fighting an evil vampire, right, that comes to town, the vampire that comes to town is a kid <clears throat> um, and befriends our, you know, protagonist. Who is an um, outsider loner. A little bit of a, yeah, a little bit of an outsider, a little bit of parents, you know, separated or divorced um, and um yeah, you know, picked on, right? Bullied. And in the movie, I don't know how the book is, um, Dale, but in the movie, 
they live in like they don't live in Stockholm. It is cold, dark, and bleak. And yes, um, they. I mean, they don't live in the country, you know. But it's yeah, it's yeah. Where they yeah, yeah. they are there is bleak. Yes, yes, and um, uh, it's very poignant. It, it it and it and it is. It's a really good story about you know being a child. There's remarkable you know tenderness moments of real friendship that you know you you love to see come out in a novel or a movie you know that's done really well but of course it's a twist because the friendship is between a vampire and 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 a boy and one of the reasons i really like it as well is because um you know, this is they'll give away I, I are we giving away kind of yeah, I mean, yeah, like we are. Yeah. So one of the things I really liked about the story, um, I haven't read it in a while, um, but I, I remember walking away from it thinking, you know, one of these things when I was thinking is because the vampire comes to town um, and uh, the vampire's, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's protector. Renfield. Yeah. yeah his, the his, Renfield is his, his, um, his watcher. Yeah, yeah, is is a pedophile. He's a pedophile. That's right. Same thing in the movie, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the the pedophile and the vampire has kind of in, essentially enticed this person through the promise, right, of sexual favors, essentially that never um, that are never actually given, right, to be the protector um, and to play on the pedophile sense of love, right, for this immortally. Uh, Im- immortal child um, but uh, that protector you know ends up dying and the vampire even though you could you know you, you kind of you kind of go through it and you said well there's this friendship developing there's also a sense by which you could you could you know view the story as the vampire is simply replacing this protector who is getting a little bit out of hand and, and no longer as effective as they would be. And yeah, what gonna... better way to do that than to take someone who's young, who's still impressionable and mold them into what you need them to be. Right. Yep. So there's a, there's a sense in which this, you know, this, what is otherwise this really kind of potentially touching story about a weird friendship could actually be just another level of horror. Right in within the horror story so i i really liked it i i think it's written extremely well it's one of those rare books that that spawned two good movies which i think is is unusual i mean it's certainly not um you know completely unique but you don't see that a lot and um i think that the um uh the the two movies, both, although the original, I think, does it better, really capture what you were saying before, the kind of bleakness of where yeah. they are. Yeah. And it just enhances that sense of loneliness and isolation that, uh, that you know, this kid is going through. So it's done really well. One of uh, fairly recent, um, now I think it was within the last 10 years, 10 or 15 years, um, I think, mo- at, at, at the most, um, really, uh, really well done. The book is definitely worth reading. The movies are worth seeing. So it's fantastic. It's it's 
it it's it's got the whole you know the whole thing all it needs is a is a hit song and 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 you know it'll be a phenom it's a trifecta yeah i remember watching the swedish um film and if i recall correctly there's a scene in a school pool yes where the vampire exacts revenge on some bullies yes but it um, a lot of his films underwater. You yes. See that, and it's set, it's, so even that, even the, the film, even the, the limb th- will float by. Or well, I, thought, oh, God. I thought I was on, watching Jaws for a minute. <laughs> uh, but the way it's filmed is very clever. Yeah, uh, it, it makes really it is. makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, the final scene is a little, um, uh, not ambiguous but you know leaves room for pause he's i think the young kid he's on a train and there's a big footlocker at his feet and he's yes. al- and he's alone yeah yeah um and he'll just die too he'll grow yeah. old and die and and she'll um she'll keep going i also liked it because it gave you their version of what happens um when a vampire comes in when they're not invited Yes, that was that was that was wild. Yes, yes, (laughs) very, 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 very. Yeah, yeah. No, it and filmed really well. But but and but the 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 book is is if you haven't read it, you really should read. That's gonna be about twenty twenty years old by now. Uh, Is it that old? I thought it was fifteen or fifteen. I think it's more than ten. It's no, it's it's more than twelve. It was okay. um, right. uh, one of the podcasts I used to listen to back in 07, 08, one of the first ones was or two or three Canadian guys who would talk horror. And um, the one guy whose opinions kind of mirror uh, resembled mine the most, um, out of, not exactly, but kind of the most was um, <clears throat> just down on the whole vampire thing. It's like, they can't do it right. It's romance. It's this and that. And then the right one, let the right one in came out and he's like see that's what happens with vampires they go into a slump um and then you think it's it's a dead and somebody comes along with a story like that and it kind of revives your interest so yeah there you go and so i rented i rented the dvd from blockbuster all right okay (laughs) then it is old yeah okay fair enough (laughs) yeah all right my last one may surprise you um but i i just it fascinates me. It's it's Francis Ford Coppola's 1992 Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, starring Gary Oldman, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Carrie Elwes, Richard Grant, Sophie Frost, Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder. Um, I'm fascinated by this movie because it's close to being the definitive story, but for three things. All right. Everyone's most people have seen it. Right. I don't have to. It's a fairly faithful. In terms of beats in a movie, it's probably the most faithful adaptation of the novel. Um, Yes, I think that's probably right. Sets are gorgeous. The colors pop. The Vokes late 1800s England. um, You know, the costuming. All that stuff is like. You know, you're like, you got a lot of good ingredients in this stew, but why'd you put in peanut butter? You know, Mm. Uh, why'd you put in paprika? What are you doing here? And I like watching it saying, like, how could I make this what it could have been? You know, 
Um, because the acting, except for an actor and a half, is fine. Um, Gary Oldman's a good actor. Anthony Hopkins. Um, some people didn't like his portrayal. It's thought his Van Helsing was over the top. But Van Helsing's a, kind of off his rocker in the book. Yeah, <clears throat> his son is his his son. What is his son has died, and the wife is in an asylum, and he's going back and forth to the Netherlands like every every fourth day, and he's got his own problems, and he's a bit off his rockers. Carrie Elwes is always solid. Richard Grant solid. Sadie Frost was awesome. Uh, they have all the characters. They don't mold. They don't meld. Uh, Quincy Morris and Holmwood and Harker into one character. You know, they have right, all the characters. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, it's got some great stuff in it, but I was like, okay. Number one, take out Coppola's all the flourishes. The the um, shadow fighting in the beginning. When the still human Vlad the Impaler curses God and stabs the sword and blood flows out. The ridiculous armor he's wearing, you know, uh, yeah. ridiculous sunglasses, <laughs> all those kind of goofy flourishes that you don't need. Yeah. Strip them out. All right. Yeah. Two is I can I think I can deal with Winona Ryder in this movie if you got rid of Keanu Reeves, but I can't deal yeah. with both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Get yeah. an English fucking actor. I know yeah. they're gonna say, "Oh, we wanted a star, an American star to draw people." But Coppola's doing Dracula. You don't think people are gonna go see it? Yeah, really. Come yeah. on, or get an American actor. You already have one under writer and Gary Oldman. Why do you need uh, Keanu Reeves yeah. and, and Anthony, Anthony Hopkins? Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. Hannibal Lecter. I mean, come on, it just it is so bad. Yeah, and that's By the easy. way, Winona Ryder in a movie is never a bad idea. In my opinion, without him, I can deal with her. I, I think yeah. she <clears throat> she's a good actress. It's a little yeah. miscast in that. A little. Yeah, I agree. A little weak. She's she's a she's a she's a she is at times a really good actress, yeah. and she's always a good actress. So yeah, it's I not. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not a yeah. But give her to Reeves. Put someone else in there, and we're doing okay. So those are the two easy things to do, right? Yeah. Th- third is. Take out the fucking love story. It's not part of the book. Yeah. And it defeat he okay. I don't I'm not a fan of the, the romanticized angst ridden vampire in like any form. Yeah. But Dracula's the worst. He yeah. is a brutal, mean, cruel character. He's not so he's ugly. He smells awful. His nails are long and dirty. Uh, His breath stinks. He's a rapist. Mm -hmm. And uh, the perfect example is like, uh, I'll paraphrase the book and the movie. I can't remember the exact quota situation, but essentially, here's the difference. In the movie, um, Dracula's essentially asked the questions like, why are you doing this? Why are you taking Mina? Why are you doing this? And he says, because I love her. In the book, they ask the same question. You know what he says? Because you love her. Mm. That's, you know, he, he feeds babies to his wives. Yes. He kills Mina's friend. 
He's he's a monster. Yeah. Oh, you killed Lucy. I love you. I mean, it's just awful. Yeah. So there's a major script change right there, right? But just yeah. do the movie, do the book. Make him a mean, cruel, manipulative person who they they chase down. This this love story is terrible, but they're so close to a definitive version. I think I think with those changes they could have had a really, really good movie. I suspect that you're right. Uh, although, uh, I, I think then, why would you have Gary Oldman play the monster? <clears throat> you don't right? need I mean, him to. Kinda, yeah, you don't. You know, and and I, I think... Could get Gilbert Gottfried. You could get... <laughs> you could. Could get Gilbert Gottfried. Ah, it's frustrating. It's a frustrating movie. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. I, I have to admit, I could not get beyond. I think it was the love story. It's terrible. I it's couldn't ridiculous. get beyond it. I never watched the whole thing. I, I also couldn't get beyond the, the, the character of the, uh, of, it, well, it, the love story is, is what it is. I mean, the crazy armor and all that kind of goofy stuff. I, I kind of, to me, I, I can kind of get by that. Oh yeah, but, I can get by it too, but I'm just yeah. thinking just do the book. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to do it 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 is too bad that people feel they need to do all this stuff. But you're Francis Ford Coppola, you have the budget. So you can yeah. do it you can do everything right. Yeah. I mean, there's some gorgeous shots in that movie. Yeah. Well um not surprising. And it's just like one of those I, oh, you're so close. Just why can't you see it? <laughs> yeah. And, and what do you do? If you have to pick an American actor, why that one? <laughs> Anybody. Pick Peter Gallagher. Pick, yeah. I don't know. Ron Livingston. Pick, I mean, I love Ron Livingston, but I'm just saying, like, if you yeah. pick Keanu Reeves, you can almost pick any, pick George Wendt. I don't know. <laughs> It's just, it, it, it is so jarring. His acting is like so jarring. And there's some little, there's a lot of little good pieces in that movie. When the, I mean, some people might, might think it's goofy, but I like when his, um, when Dracula's shadow is doing different things than Dracula in that one sweet scene. It's a pretty quick scene. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, kind of, it's kind of a neat about. little, yeah. yeah. That's a neat little flourish. The, the, the shadow war in the beginning with the with the you know red background and then the stupid armor that no human being has ever worn in the history of the world the red armor and all yeah. that and Gary Oldman's terrible what Romanian accent don't yeah. do a Romanian don't do the accent yeah it's one of the things that I really like about um um uh, what's his name? Oh, God, why do I always forget his name? The guy who did uh, uh, Bottle Rocket and Rushmore and um, um, uh, I don't know The Life Aquatic and Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, oh, uh, Grand Budapest Paul, Hotel. Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, no, it's not. It's not Paul Thomas Anderson. It's um, oh God, uh, what's his name? Why, why is that? Why this guy, for whatever reason, this director's name is one of Always. my, my oh, one of my favorite. He is one of my favorite directors, 
but Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. We talked God. about this before, and I can never yeah. remember his name. I can never. I don't know what it is. I mean, and he is. He's one of my favorite. He's one of my favorite directors. But one of the things that he seems to do in his movies is tell people not to try to do accents. No, don't bother. Yeah, and so, and I, and I, and I think I first really fully noticed it in Grand Budapest Hotel, yeah, where what, where everybody is just. What's that? I said, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. I, I know you're wearing a Nazi uniform. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. You're so, German. Right. Like, right. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm really confused. Why is that Nazi speaking with a Chicago accent? Uh-huh. Yeah, it, 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 I agree. I, I kind of, I, I like actors acting and I don't think that they need to. And it's also, why are you speaking, why are you speaking English with an accent to portray, you know, a scene where you would otherwise be speaking German to each other, right? Right, right. It makes no sense. I I get it. You're German. I get it. Yeah. I I don't need the, I don't need the clues. I know, I know King Kong's not a real ape. I I know. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. I don't know why they do that either. Um. Yeah, uh, I, I I think Coppola. I mean, whatever. Hey, I like watching it though and trying to fix it. <laughs> I like trying to make a better movie. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can. I, can I, dig it. I probably got some. Um, there's some ones I haven't seen. Um, a girl yeah, walks got, home got, alone got... at night is supposed to be very interesting, which I have not well, seen. Um, it's a metaphor. Van. It's a vampiric metaphor type of thing. Uh, okay. But it's supposed to be different interesting good the hammer movies you mentioned yeah. are, oh, are a lot of fun yeah. if, lot if of fun. you're our age and you used to come home from school or on saturdays at like 3 p.m on the new york channel um they would show them right yeah, yeah. uh so i was exposed to those before the the universal uh monsters and uh you know and then it just you know you go into slumps with um the twilight but well, that was a dark era yeah i i so th- there's a there are there are two books um i know nothing about them other than um they've gotten you know um very good reviews um so <laughs> one of them is called the historian by a woman named elizabeth kostova read it oh you read it read it twice oh. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Well, there you go. It's a lot. It's long. It's a lot of fun. And it covers a couple different eras. 30s, like 50s and 70s, I think. And it's kind of a neat adventure story type of thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then the other is, I think it may not be quite a vampire book, but it, I think it's at least, it's at least vampire adjacent. The Dick Cheney memoir. Yes. Um, no, it's an Octavia Butler novel ah, called Fledgling. Yes. I yeah. saw that on a list. Yeah. I so, saw that on a list. I've and you're reading it, another book by her, right? I read another book by her, and she's a list of authors that I want to I keep reading because I, I really enjoyed the book, that book that I read, which was, I can't remember what the title is. Um, but there's a, there are two in the series, uh, and I read one of them. Um, but I, I do. I um, I really like Oct- Octavia Butler. She is an excellent just writer, right? Craftsman. 
uh, craftsperson and um, very creative, I think, really interesting. And um, this, this kind of things that I like, like doing kind of make, really makes you think about things, which I, which I really appreciate in an author. Th- we got to mention Lost Boys, right? Yeah. Near Dark. I know a lot of people really like Lost Boys and kind of put it up there as, uh, um, you know, as a, as a really good vampire movie. I just don't, I don't get it. You don't get its um, popularity? I don't. I really don't understand. I've never, I've never liked it. I've never thought it was particularly good. I, I kind of. This is the era, right? When um, Lost Boys came out, Fright Night came out. There was a movie called Near Dark, which was <clears throat> a very serious, uh, dark vampire movie with um, uh, Bill Paxson was in it. Um, basically. Um, traveling like redneck vampires. One guy I think was a Confederate um, veteran, mm. um, but they were the uh, rip your head off vampires. Mm. Um, and it was done by Catherine Bigelow, the uh, woman who did the Hurt Locker. Yes, and, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a good like if you're tired of the kind of the lighthearted Fright Night. Lost Boys type of thing, and now Near Dark was probably for the rear real horror fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Vamp, I never saw, but that was another one. There was some Sorry, comedies in there. Well, there was one with Grace Jones called Vamp, which I never saw. Oh, okay, another eighties. Yeah, you had, I believe you had, um, what Love at First Bite. There you go. Uh, my, there was one with Jim Carrey. Um, vampire movie with Jim Carrey. It was a comedy. It was it was a comedy. Well, yeah, I would assume. But I think he's yeah. bitten by Lauren Hutton, lucky guy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's and... some, there's some, there, yeah, there, there were a bunch in there that kind of action thriller. There was a Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tar- what was it from Dust Till Dawn? Yeah, yeah. I, which I just not not really nah. th- don't really do it for me. I mean, I think. One of the areas that I would I would like to explore are some of the non-American uh, uh, vampire movies, some right. Asian uh, ones in particular, because there's some really interesting um, Japanese horror movies and Korean horror movies that I've heard about that I've, I've I, I think I. Yeah, I I can't remember the names of any off the top of my head, but there have there have over time I've kind of said, oh, I should really watch that. I should figure out how to watch that, and I've not returned to it. Um, but uh, I suspect that if we kind of explored the genre a bit, I think we'd probably end up finding a lot of a lot of very creative stuff and some of it very good that we're just not, you know, aware of. Oh yeah, there's a ton out there, and it's just I can't. You know, I'm not going to devote my time to nonstop horror and nonstop vampires. So I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that that people have done that's that's pretty good. Um, I'm kind of done with the uh, vamps for tonight. That was an interesting list. Yeah, yeah, no, I like yours. You did a good job. That was um, you got some interesting titles in there. Um, you uh, watching or reading anything of? Interest you want to talk about before we um, call call it a night? So, um, 
I'll just mention that uh, um, I, ha- I have been doing, as a general matter, a fair amount of reading. Um, and uh, did I have I already mentioned the book, the uh, the mountain in the sea? Um, I don't think so. Okay, so I just finished this book called The Mountain in the Sea. Um, oh, I, 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 I just, I, I actually, I, yes, two. I'll, I'll mention these are two science fiction books. Two of them I really enjoyed. Both of them involve non-human intelligence as a central part of the part of the book. One is called uh, Children of Time, which is about uh, human created. Um, uh, uh, intelligent spiders and their evolutionary history. Um, That's not and, a good idea. And the and their interaction with the last of humanity. That's a bad idea. Great book, fantastic book, really, really, really good book. And and I know you've you're not a fan of the science fiction genre as a general matter. Um, this is one that um, I, I would recommend. It really brings together uh, a lot of. Uh, of the really strong elements of, of good science fiction. I'm highly recommended. And the other one that I read is called uh, the monster in the, the, the mountain in the sea, which is, which is really interesting. It's about the um, discovery of a certain group of octopus that have developed culture. You did mention that. Oh, I did. Okay. Um, our last, uh, what do you, when we did that episode, Catching up on what? Oh, I'm okay. Then I won't. You did mention I, the I yeah the smart octopus. <clears throat> yeah, no, good, really good, and it because it's about artificial intelligence because one of the main characters is an android. There's this really interesting thought that one of the characters has, which in in contemplating this android, which is, how would my thinking be different if, like the android, I could instantly recall every experience. I've ever had. Right. It's just <laughs> a really interesting, you know, kind of thought and why, as I like to tell people when we talk about artificial intelligence these days, it isn't people <laughs> we're creating. We may create these things that kind of learn in the same way that we learn, but they are not human intelligence. <laughs> they are something very, very, very different. Um, but it has that. It has the octopus. It also has a narrow intelligence device, which is a, a fishing vessel, as as one of the characters as well. Um, so really, uh, really good near future. You know, not you know hundreds of years in the future, but near future and kind of the world almost falling apart. Kind of a um, nearly post apocalyptic. It's it's really quite good. So yeah. So those two. Sorry for the long winded description. No, that's no, that's fine. Um, yeah. So I got really kind of just a little burned out on most of the um, pay-per-view channels. So last like last Saturday morning or Friday, late Friday night, um, I, uh, I took the free seven day uh, free week of um, BritBox. Oh, and then, okay. and, yeah. and then, and then, and then promptly binge watched um, uh, Band of Brothers in the Pacific on Netflix for some reason. Yo. After I got BritBox, but um, there's a show on BritBox I was watching called um, Murder in Paradise, and it it's a it's it takes place on a um, it's filmed in Guadalupe or Guadalupe. I'm not sure how to pronounce it in the West Indies. Uh-huh. 
Uh, but it's a, you know, it's a fictitious, I think it's supposed to be a fictitious island. Um, and the fish out of water British detective inspector has to go there to temporarily replace one that had been, um, one that had the, the kind of chief of police that had, had been uh, murdered. So it's like this fish out of water tale. This um, stuffy, uptight Englishman in the very laid-back Caribbean atmosphere looks beautiful. Um, very traditional. It's not a lot. Of, even when there's a, there's always a murder. There's hardly any blood. It's very. Um, the local characters are pretty funny, and the fish out of water tale is. It's just kind of a breezy, fun way to spend fifteen minutes with. Actually, what ends up being some some fairly intriguing characters, but at the end, he always gathers all the suspects and does the Agatha Christie thing. Yeah. Um. So there's some unrealistic portions of it, but who cares? And the the scenery is is um the scenery is fantastic. So right. that's a fun little show. And there's some others I'm going to explore. The English love their their police and detective procedurals, though I think. Yeah, it looks like sixty-five percent is that type of thing. It's it's in London or it's in Shetland or it's in the small countryside. It's in the urban area. I mean, all over the place. There's got to be fifty shows. Yeah, some some take place in the Middle Ages. It's a yeah Father Cadfile or something like that. It's like okay, Um, yeah. Well, you know, they're cheap, cheap to make and. If you get good writers, good dialogue and a plot, and boom, they're cheap. You're not, you're not using special effects or anything. That's true. Yeah. So, so I, I'm done with my free week tomorrow, so I'm going to keep it for a few more months. It's $7.99, $7.99 a month, so not a big deal. Yeah, but I did rewatch Band of Brothers because I hadn't watched it. I binge-watched it over the course of like two or three days. Hadn't watched it like that probably in over a decade. It's such a good it's my favorite HBO show. And I like the Pacific as well. I know it's I, not as popular, but I do like it. I think they did. I think that was done very well. Also. I watched Then I watched, I finally finished the Pacific yeah. and compared to compared to the Pacific band of brothers is like a comedy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The Pacific is so dark uh, yeah. in so many ways. And these guys are just stuck on these, specks of rock in the middle you know hell holes basically yeah. no civilization whatsoever yeah it's 95 degrees everything wants to kill you they uh those whoa. books that 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 show in it, you know they were it was based on some novels right um not novels excuse me two. some memoirs by some two. of the people yes. yeah right two yeah. of them it, i i read them i read the i yeah. it inspired me to go and read them and, it, and they were as you know horrific as you would expect them to be in yeah. terms of their descriptions of things. So there was really no light moments. Uh, in Band of Brothers, you get some, um, yes, funny, absurd moments. Right. But, whew, man. But yeah, so uh, that's the other thing I did. So, all right. Good stuff. All right. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, we'll yeah, I'll figure out what we're doing again uh, for the rest of. October. Yeah. I have uh I have I'm gonna I'll text you a request in terms of something for us to do, by the way. Okay. And yeah. um yes. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Have a good night.
Happy Halloween. You too.